0: Scripture reading for this morning is from the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 through 28. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom.
1: Let's pray. Our Father, the reason I am passionate about prayer and the reason I am so thrilled that you brought the Gundersons into our midst and that I'm sure you'll bring others into our midst is because you're our Father, and you like to walk with us in intimacy. Prayer is not magic. Prayer is not uh, something that we just stick into you like you're some kind of vending machine and then get things out of you. Prayer is relating intimately by the Holy Spirit with the God who went to such lengths to save our souls from sin and from death and from hell. And so indeed, I pray that you would bless David and Carmen, and I pray that you would bless the prayer ministries of this church wherever they are, I pray that you would draw more and more people to us who have a passion to be with their Father and to lead other people to do the same. And as we do that, Lord, as we draw upon your resurrection power and your merciful heart toward us, I pray that you would give us everything that we need to carry out the mission of this church. Father, you have given us a mission, and we need your power for that mission. And that's what today's message is all about. And so I surrender myself to you, Father. The study is all done. The hours of prayer are all behind us now, and now I pray for for grace and mercy and passion and power to, to pass on to others what you have so clearly shown me. And I give you my thanks and praise for what you'll do in building your church for the glory of your name. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, every year at Glory of Christ, we dedicate the Sunday after Easter to talking about the mission of the church. Sometimes we focus on that locally, sometimes globally. But the reason that we always dedicate the Sunday after Easter to the subject of mission is because the mission of the church, any, any local church or the church in a broader sense, is, is intimately tied into the resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead. You, you cannot separate the mission of the church of Jesus Christ from the power that raised Christ from the dead. It was the resurrected Christ who stood before his disciples on a mountain in Galilee and spoke those words from Matthew 28, 18 through 20 when he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And there stood living proof to the disciples, right? This guy had been in the grave. They watched him be buried in a grave. Now, I've been to funerals too. I've never seen anybody go in that then came out three days later. Yes? It kind of demonstrates power. It demonstrates the blessing of God upon a person when they come out of a grave. And that's what Jesus did. It was the resurrected Christ who said, all authority has been given to me. So, on the basis of my authority, I want you to go into the nations and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to observe everything that I have taught you. And behold, I am going to be with you all the way to the end of the age. Everywhere you go, everywhere you proclaim the glory of my name and the good news of what I have done, I will physically, literally be with you. It was the resurrected Christ, beloved, who talked like that. And that, those words had to come after the resurrection. He could not have spoken those words before the resurrection. It was the power that raised him from the dead that is the power for the mission of the church. Please never forget that. Never forget that. We can't do what he's called us to do in our flesh. And so at Glory of Christ, we take our mission statement from these very words, and we say that this church is here to make disciples for the glory of Christ. That is our raison d'etre. It's the reason that we exist as a church. We're here to make disciples for the glory of Christ. And under the banner of that statement, there are three words that are very important to us. Worship, community, and mission. You'll see those words on the logo up behind me, you'll see it on our logo everywhere we put it, you'll see it on our signage, you'll see it on just about everything that we print out, you'll see it on our website, you'll hear it on the on the lips of our leaders over and over and over again, worship, community, mission. And I want to take a few minutes this morning to explain to you why those words are so important to us and, and how they relate to the mission of Christ to go into the world and make disciples. So let me begin with the word worship worship is at the heart of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ because essentially to be a disciple means to be a lover of God is to be a worshipper of God to be a disciple is not someone who just receives instruction from God it's it's not like you go into a classroom and you just learn all kinds of neat stuff that you can impress people with at parties and all of that theology really matters To us at this church, anyone who's been here for any time knows that. But theology exists in order to inflame our relationship with God. We are in a relational faith here. And so essentially to be a disciple is to be a worshiper of God. This week we've been memorizing the words of the great commandment. That the first and foremost commandment, Jesus said, is this. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. So from the very beginning, what God has been commanding his people is, love me, come after me, worship me. This is not a duty religion that we're in, beloved. This is a a relational religion. We have a father who wants to walk with us and do life with us and talk with us and teach us and guide us and empower us. He wants to do life with us, heart to heart, mind to mind, soul to soul, life to life. This is our God. And so worship is right at the center of what it means to be a disciple, and it's right at the center of what it means to to make disciples. And let me just say that worship is not just about singing songs, it is about that. But worship is about singing and it is about submitting to God as well. Worship is about praising God with our lips and obeying Him in our lives. Worship is about a way of life. It's not just about moments in time like this, although moments like this are important. Worship is about all of life. So at the heart of what it means to be disciples and to make disciples is living a life of worship before God where we sing praises to him and submit our lives to him. It's right at the core, right at the center. And that's why that word means so much to us. If we don't emphasize worship, the upward relationship with God, then we've missed the the boat completely. Second word means a lot to us is community, and by that word we mean learning to walk in love with one another, learning to to do life together, if I could put it in more colloquial terms. From the moment sin entered this world, it had the effect of dividing relationships one from another. Think about, remember the story of Adam and Eve when they sinned. After they sinned, what is the first action that they took? What they did was they they clothed themselves. Before that, there was no need to be clothed. Now they sinned, they realized they were naked, and they clothed themselves. What, What was going on with that? Well, what that was was a physical sign of the division that had now happened between these two people. They sinned against God, but their sin broke their fellowship with one another. The intimacy that they had before was now gone. The relationship they knew before was no longer in existence. And now there was a new normal. There was a new reality. And the, the heart of that reality was division. It was, it was a breaking of the relationship. And as if that wasn't tragic enough, they then conspired together to figure out how to hide from God. You ever thought about why they did that? Well, the reason they did that is because their intimacy with God was divided. Just, just think about your own life. Anytime you sin, do you then have the passion to go and open up your heart and have a, a, a close relationship with your spouse or with your good friends? Or don't you just have this sense that I just want to hide. I just want to go away. I want to be by myself. I don't want to be around people. I, I certainly don't want to talk about important things. And, and God knows I don't want to talk to Him. We're hiding, beloved. We're hiding. That's what Adam and Eve did. That's what sin does. Sin comes in, it divides, it breaks, and it makes us want to hide. So much of life is about hiding, 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 hiding from God, putting on a mask, pretending one thing when the other thing is true. We're hiding, we're hiding, we're hiding. This is sin. This is what sin does. The reason Jesus Christ came was to reverse that whole process. He came to unite what sin had divided. That's why He came. He came. He came here to live a righteous life for us, to fulfill all righteousness for us, so that when we believe in Him, it's as though we were perfectly obedient to God, and the relationship is no longer broken now, because Christ did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And by fulfilling all righteousness for us, and paying the price for our sin, the heart of what Jesus did was restore our relationship with God. I loved even just the title of John Piper's book, God is the Gospel. What's his point? His point is that the heart of this faith of ours, Christianity, is being reunited with your Father, heart to heart, soul to soul, mind to mind, creator to created, God to worshiper, Father to child. This is a relational thing. That's what Christ came to do. He came to restore the relationship that God, that sin had broken apart. And not only did Christ do this vertically, but He came to restore our relationships horizontally. It's absolutely integral to what He came to do and what He's about in the world today. It is. Read the Bible carefully. You'll see it never, hardly ever talks about salvation in individualistic terms. It does talk about our salvation in personal terms. This is about me and Jesus. My, my personality, my individuality is not vanquished into the sea of, of the group. That's not true. But my individuality only comes into its meaning in the context of the body. The Bible says Jesus came to prepare for himself a people. A people. Not a person, but a people. He uses terms like the body of Christ. That's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's an us kind of a term, not a me kind of a term. He calls us the Bride of Christ. So many millions of worshipers, but he looks at us and sees a singular Bride. One thing, one thing. He calls us the Temple of the Holy Spirit. Twice that phrase is used in 1 Corinthians. And in Sunday school, the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at these terms for the body of Christ. And in three weeks from now, we'll look at that term, the Temple of the Holy Spirit. When when you look at that in the original language of the Bible it's said in the plural you all are the temple of the holy spirit the language is plural not singular why because the mission of Christ is to unite what sin and satan divided that's what he's up to in this world And that's why we make such a big deal at this church about doing life together, about community. We will not give up pressing upon this and pleading with people. You must, if you're a disciple of Jesus, learn to do life with other people. You have to come out of your hiding, out of the discomfort, out of whatever's keeping you back. You have to come out and engage with the body. Why? Because this church said so? No. No. Because this is the gospel, beloved. This is what Jesus Christ is up to in the world. He's uniting what sin had divided. Now listen, I know this is hard in real life at full speed. It's easy to talk about in the pulpit on Sunday. It's hard to live. And you know, I'm just talking about practical stuff. My daughter and my wife and I are all so busy and our schedules are going in this way and that way. It's hard to even get the three of us in the same room together anymore. it's hard for us to eat a meal together anymore just because we're all so busy we love each other we love Christ it's hard to do life together I get it I get it I get it that this is hard all I'm saying is don't give up because community is central to the gospel it's central to what Jesus Christ is doing in the world so there are a number of ways to pursue community but the point is that it's at the heart of what Christ is up to he's a bodybuilder if you will He's the most amazing bodybuilder in the universe. He is about the body. And his work in the life of an individual always relates to the body. So in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14, we see this discussion of spiritual gifts. Chapter 12, verse 7, to me, gives the key to understanding that whole text when it says that spiritual gifts are given to manifest the Spirit for the common good. So every single believer, man, woman, and child, no matter what your age, no matter what your background, no matter what your experiences, if you believe in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit has granted you spiritual gifts that when you use them, they literally have the effect of unveiling the presence of God in our midst and building up the body of Christ. But what I want you to see is that there's nowhere in the Bible Not one place in the Bible where it talks about our spiritual gifts in individualistic terms. Our gifts always have to do with the body because through those gifts, Christ is trying to build up his body. Sin divided, Christ is uniting. That's why this word community means so much to us. That's why we preach it and preach it and preach it and do the best we can to live it. We're imperfect at it, but we will not give up. We will not give up because... This is what Christ is up to. To be a disciple is to be about our Father's business, right? We're we're doing what our Father is doing. And and at the heart of what our Father is doing is uniting His church. That leads me to the third word, this word mission. So worship, community, and mission. Jesus had lots of ways of describing His mission on this earth, but one that's really grabbed my heart this week was Luke 19.10, where Jesus says, I have come to seek and to save the lost. In other places he said, I didn't come for the healthy people, I came for the sick people. I didn't come for folks whose relationship with God was already on track, I came for those who were not on track, who were astray, who were far away from God, who were blind and deaf and dumb and crippled and and all of these things. Some of those people manifested their brokenness physically so that they were literally blind or literally deaf or literally crippled. And Jesus did minister to their needs too. But but whether it was physical or not, we all shared a common thing, that before any of us knew Christ, we were literally dead in our trespasses and sins. The Bible says this, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And I've said to you before, it doesn't get worse than dead, right? Dead is about the end of the line. It's the end of the line. And that's what sin did to us. It, it killed us. And Jesus said, I'm on a mission to go find people who are spiritually dead and bring them back to life. The reason I came to the earth was to seek and save the lost. It was to go after those who were sinners and transform them into saints. I want to go after those who are in slavery to their sins and make them slaves of righteousness. I want to go after those who are trapped in the kingdom of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of my Father. I want to transfer people from being enemies of the state into being children of God. I want to glorify my Father by seeking and saving the lost day by day by day by day until the end comes. Just two days ago. I woke up, David, the day we went down to to Minneapolis. I got up early that morning to do a few things, and I had this friend on my mind from way in my past. Uh, 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 It was a young lady that I had met when we were 11 or 12, and just like the rest of us, we all got into drugs together, and a a lot of bad things happened. And then I got saved some years later. I saw her in the first year or two after I got saved, and I shared the gospel with her again and again, and she just wasn't in a place at that time to receive it. And so, but I kept praying for her. Her name's Andrea. She was like a sister to me. We were really, really close. Had been through a lot of things and we were close. Well, Friday, I wake up and I just can't get her off my mind. I, I was thinking about her. I tried to search for her on Facebook. I couldn't find her. I just couldn't stop thinking about her all day long. So as we were traveling around, David, I'm praying and praying and praying for my friend Andrea. That night, I go home, I pick up my email, and of all people, I haven't heard from her in 25 years, and of all days, there's a message from her in my inbox. I just couldn't believe it. It's like, God, I wonder if God's up to something here. So we connected. We're going to talk on the phone later this afternoon, and I've already been clear with her in email. I want to talk to you about Jesus, Andrea. I want to talk to you about Jesus. I want to see you come from darkness into light. Our good friend Robert that I told you about, the three of us were kind of like the three musketeers for a number of years, but only an evil kind. We weren't doing good things. I told her in my note, I said, Andrea, you're not going to believe it. Last year, Robert came to Christ right around Easter last year, and he's still walking with Christ, and I just can't live knowing that you're not walking with Christ. i got to talk to you about this today. So I'm going to call her today. I'm going to talk to her about it. This is what Jesus is up to in the world, beloved. He's here to seek and save the lost. My friend Andrea is just hurting. Man, this woman's been through some crazy stuff, man. And she needs Jesus, any church that's going to claim to have anything to do with Christ has to be on this mission. It's that simple. We're not going to be perfect at this. Other churches are going to be better than us at it. Who cares about all that? The point is, our heart is to go after the lost because that's the heart of our Father. We worship Him. We come into community and then in love He says to us, Amen. Let's go after that person who needs this love and doesn't know it right now. Let's go after him. Let's do this together. I'll be with you all the way to the end of the age. I have raised from the dead. I'll give you my power. When you speak, I will act. You don't have to persuade people to become believers. Just be real. I'll do the hard work. Oh, beloved, we have to join Him on this and that's why this word mission means so much to us we're growing a lot we're not very good at it but again I don't really care about that we'll grow in skill we'll grow in skill I'm talking about the heart right now I'm talking about do you cry for lost people is there anybody in your life is there even one person that you're really praying for and seeking to reach do you care is that passion inside of you oh I hope that it is I know for lots of you it is I know that it is But let's just keep praying that God would fan that into flame. Every month now, the leaders of this church gather for a leaders meeting. And last time we met, we talked about all this stuff. And and I said something to them that came out of my mouth in a way that kind of surprised me. And it's just really stuck with me over the last three or four weeks. So I just want to kind of explain this to you briefly now. I'm going to go backwards through these words. So I want to talk about mission and then community and then worship quickly. And then I'll say the, the phrase that came out of my mouth. I said to the leaders that day that the mission of the church that I just talked about, one day that mission is going to come to an end. And you know why? Because one day Jesus Christ is going to come back to this earth and he's going to raise everybody from the dead and he's going to judge everybody. The wicked will go to eternal punishment and those who have believed in Jesus by the grace of God will go into eternal bliss and eternal fellowship with him. That's going to happen. And when that happens, missions will cease because there won't be any point to it anymore. There won't be any more lost people. There won't be any more wounded or hurting or crippled that need our ministry. That will be over. So the mission of the church is a temporary thing. We have a small window in which to engage in the mission of the church, and then it's eternity. The community of God, however, will endure forever. I'm talking about the church. It will endure forever. You know, your nuclear family, husband, wife, children, and whatever other variations there might be in your life, extended family, that family structure is going to dissipate. It will not last forever. In heaven, we will neither marry nor be given in marriage. I've told you many times, Kimmy, I hope that we get to hang out in heaven because I just love you and you're my best friend and I love you and I want to hang out with you, but we won't be married. We can hang out, but we won't be married. Marriage will dissipate. John Piper is right with the title of his book, This Temporary Marriage. It's temporary But the community of God, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the church will endure forever. And at the heart of the life of the church in heaven will be the activity of worship. We will join with the angels and we'll see them with our eyes and the four living creatures that surround the throne of God and the 24 elders that surround them and millions and millions of people who have believed in Christ by the grace of Christ and are together the church. We will join forever and worship and worship and worship and worship God. The community of worshipers is eternal. That's the point. It's eternal. I don't think heaven is just going to be one massively long worship service. I don't know what it will be like, but I think there will be lots of stuff going on. But central to everything and at every moment will be the worship of God. So what I said to our leaders last month was, a, a fresh way of talking about our mission as a church is, that we are here, to we are on a mission to nurture a community of worshipers. That's what we're doing here. We're on a mission to nurture a community of worshipers. We're on a mission to to gather in believers that need some feeding, they're starving, they're hungry, they're looking for a place to serve God and exalt His name and reach the lost. And then we need to reach out to those who are lost and win them to Christ by the power of Christ and bring them in and raise them up so that they'll be worshipers of God and join us forever and ever and ever and ever. We're we're getting ready to send off a young lady to Madagascar, the other side of the world, to reach a people called the Bara people. You can read about this in your bulletin today. What's the point of that? What's all the money for and all of this stuff? It's a simple answer. She is on a mission to go nurture a community of worshipers in Madagascar so that someday we can lock arms with people that we have helped to reach on the other side of the world. This is all about creating worship. It's all about that. It's all about that. It's just a fresh way of saying that we're here to make disciples for the glory of Christ. Now, again, I I wanna stress this again. We cannot do anything that I just mentioned without the resurrection power of Christ, not a single thing. Nothing that I've been talking about is possible in the flesh. David, your ministry, I got to go hang out with David as he did his ministry to the Somalis in Minneapolis on Friday, a real privilege for me to do that. Impossible for that to happen without the power of Christ. There's no way. We heard reports of Somalis who are are secret believers. They're afraid to come out of the closet and admit that they're believing in Christ right now. Well, I praise God that they've come and I praise God for the day when he'll give them the boldness. But the point is, it wasn't techniques that won any Somali to Christ. It was the power of the resurrected Christ that did that. And without that power, we can never, ever, ever accomplish our mission, which is why we do this every year. It's why we talk about mission right after resurrection. We have to do that. We have to do that. So with all that, I know that's a a, a lot more probably than than you expected as an introduction to a sermon. And I promise you, I won't preach for two hours today. But let's turn our attention back to Matthew 16. And I want to show you how this is connecting with everything that I've been saying today. These aren't two disconnected parts at all. Last week we looked at this text and we we walked down the road with Jesus as he asked his disciples that famous question, who are people saying that I am? They have been ministering to folks and lots of people had lots of opinions about him. So I think to pique their curiosity and to get them thinking, Jesus said, so what are the folks saying about me? And the disciples answered in a number of ways because there were a variety of, of opinions. And after they had their discussion, Jesus turned the question on them and said, okay, now what about you? You've been walking with me, talking with me all this time. You've seen me do things. You've seen parts of me nobody else has seen. You've been up close and intimate with me for all this time. So what do you say that I am? Who do you think I am? Well, all the people out there had agreed that Jesus was a very great man. They were all putting him in the category of a, of a historic prophet, either an Elijah or a Jeremiah or a John the Baptist. They thought that he was very great. But upon hearing the question, the disciple that stood up was Peter. And he essentially said, Lord, you're no prophet. It's a great thing to be a prophet, but you're beyond the prophets. You are the fulfillment of what the prophets came to point to. You're the man. You're the one Moses spoke about. You're the one that Elijah spoke about. You're the one that all the prophets spoke about. You're the one that King David wrote about in the Psalms. You're the man. You're the fulfillment. You're the deliverer. You're the one who's come to rescue God's people from her enemies and bring her into the kingdom of God. And Jesus knew that Peter was speaking by the Spirit of God and not by his own flesh. And so Jesus praised God and blessed Peter and then he began to instruct his disciples what it meant to call him the Christ. There were a a lot of things that could be said about that. But for the time being, Jesus honed in on one particular thing, and that was his suffering. He said, listen, gentlemen, we're going to have to go to Jerusalem, and I have to suffer, I have to, I have to suffer at the hands of the leaders there, and I have to be killed. I cannot just die. I have to be killed. But don't worry about that. On the third day, I'm going to rise again from the dead. Now the disciples loved Jesus. They trusted him to some extent, I'm sure, but they did not take well to this teaching at all. And so Peter again took Jesus aside and actually rebuked the Lord of the universe and said to him, Lord, that's never going to happen to you. You are a great man. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're no normal guy and you're not going to be handed over to the hands of men even though they're powerful. They're nothing compared to you. This will never happen to you, Lord. Peter was speaking on behalf of all the disciples and Jesus knew he was not speaking from the spirit of God he was speaking from an evil spirit and so the Lord looked back at Peter and rebuked not Peter but the source of his words namely Satan and said Satan you beat it you get out of here you're not speaking the words of God you're speaking the words of human beings Jesus refused to be caught in the trap. And this conversation happened off to the side. I don't know how far Peter and Jesus walked away, but out of respect for Jesus, Peter did this outside of the presence of the disciples. I, I do think Peter was speaking for the disciples, but he did it outside of their presence. After Jesus rebukes Satan, he brings Peter back to the rest of the disciples and he addresses them all. And he says, listen to me, I know that he's speaking for all of you. I know that. So I need to teach you a few things and look with me at verse 24. Let's read 24 to 28 again. For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Now one thing that really grabbed my attention this week as I was thinking through this, praying through this, processing what Jesus was saying and what I might say to all of us, is how Christ turned the subject from His destiny to the disciples' destiny. So originally, he's talking about, listen, I am the Christ, you're right about that. Here's what I have to go through as the Christ. He's talking about his own destiny. The disciples object, they rebuke him. He turns the subject to their destiny. Why did he do that? Because he's smart. (laughs) He's wise. He's insightful. He sees beyond the surface of the things that we bring to him, and he sees below into the depths of what is really troubling us. And the truth of the matter is that the disciples rebuked Jesus because they saw the implications of his teaching for their life. They understood if our Lord and leader goes to Jerusalem and he suffers and dies, guess what that means for us? No comfort, that's for sure. We're going to go to Jerusalem, too. We're going to suffer, too. We're going to die, too. Now, I know that they were thinking this way because in John chapter 11, verse 19, Thomas, one of the other disciples, actually said it out loud. He said, well, then, we might as well just go to Jerusalem with him and die. He got it. If this was the destiny of the Christ, this was the destiny of Christ's followers, and they weren't down with that, yo. They weren't. They weren't excited about that. They weren't happy about that. They didn't want that. That's why they rebuked Jesus. So Jesus said, listen guys, it doesn't work that way. If you're serious about following me, if you're here for the right reasons and not the wrong reasons, here's what it means for you. He's always been honest with them. Now he's being honest with them again. If, listen, if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself and then take up your cross and then follow me. That's how it goes in that order. Three things, deny, take up, and follow. Let me, let me say a few words about each of those. Deny, take up, follow. This word deny, in this context, I think the best synonym for it is the word renounce. Both in Greek and in, in English, you can see this, that it's the same word that's used to describe Peter when he denied Jesus three times. You remember at the crucifixion, they kept asking, asking Peter, do you know him? Are you one of his? And three times he said, no, no, no. He denied. What was he doing? He was renouncing his knowledge of Jesus and his allegiance to Jesus. And why did he do that? Well, again, because he got it. Jesus is there being beat up and judged and all this, and Peter gets it. If I say that I belong to him, they might do the same thing to me. So Peter feared men rather than God and renounced his allegiance to Jesus Christ. He denied Jesus Christ. So that's what Jesus is telling his disciples to do. He wants us to do the same thing, only not to him, to our flesh. He wants us to renounce our allegiance to this world and to our love for this world. He wants us to turn away from the American dream and embrace a greater dream. He's saying there's only one way to follow me, and that's to stop following other stuff. Nobody can serve two masters. So this is just basic logic, beloved. If you want him, you've got to turn away from this. You can't go this way and that way. You know, Jesus and the world aren't going along parallel paths. You can't kind of co- keep them both going at the same time. It doesn't work. They're going in opposite directions. You can't go both ways at the same time. So this is just logic. Jesus is saying, you want this, you've got to deny that. And then you have to turn toward me. Simple. And as you turn, I have another word for you. Take up your cross. Now, what did Christ mean by this? Please pay careful attention in these minutes because the Lord showed me something that really transformed the way that I I see this word and and I'm gonna commend it to you and leave it to you to pray about and think about. What is the cross? The cross is the, the instrument upon which Jesus died in his quest to seek and save the lost. So his passion is to save lost people and in order to do that, he had to bleed and die because that's what it took to forgive their sins. So the cross is the place on which the justice of God was perfectly poured out and what I mean by that is that Jesus had to take the punishment for everything that we have done. There is a very real sense in which God never forgives sin. God only transfers the punishment for sin from this place to this place. He cannot, he's a holy God, a righteous God. He cannot uh, look away from sin and just say, oh, it's no big deal, don't worry about it. He's a just God and he has to deal with any sin that enters into the world and he does that by putting it on Jesus Christ. So then when I come to God and ask him for forgiveness, he does forgive me, but he deals with the sin still by putting that sin upon Christ who paid the price for me. And in this way, the justice of God is is perfectly worked out on the cross of Christ. Just this week, there was a day, I don't remember which day it was, but I remember just struggling with my heart to just unite it to fear the name of the Lord. I was just so distractible that day. There was nothing big at all. It's nothing like that. It's just a bunch of 10 million small things that drawing my attention away from fixing my eyes on Christ. I'm talking about my computer. I'm talking about my phone. I'm talking about my bicycle. I'm talking about the run that I was going to go on that day. I'm talking about a famous bicycle race that's going on right now that I was curious about and wanted to see, like, what's the latest, who's in and who's out. I'm talking about this and that, just little piddling stuff, not bad things, but secondary things. You ever feel like that sometimes? Like like the secondary things are just so you're swimming in it and you can't make your heart love God first. And I felt like that. So I tweeted. I said, why is this so hard? I don't know why, but I will not give up because I want to put him first in my life. And so I prayed and I prayed. And when the time was right, our Father forgave me. But what happened in that moment was he took my sin of loving other things more than him and put it on Jesus Christ. By the way, this was so ironic for me because this was the week that we were memorizing these words. The first commandment is to love the Lord your God with everything you've got. And of all weeks to struggle with that, I don't know what it was, but I do know that, Christ, that God forgave my sin by putting it upon Christ. So the cross is about justice. And the cross is also about the display of the most amazing love that this world had ever seen. This love led Jesus Christ to die a torturous death on the cross because that's what it took to rescue us. If my friend Andrea comes to Christ today or in the coming weeks, and I pray that she will, it took Jesus Christ going to the cross to get that done. And so the main thing the cross is about is a love that pursues people to the nth degree. If Christ could have done this without suffering the cross, he would have done it. And I say that confidently because you remember the garden. Three times Jesus went to plead with his Father and he pled with such earnestness and strength that blood vessels broke in his forehead and he actually sweated out drops of blood. He felt this so earnestly. Oh God, if there's any way that I can avoid the cross, then please let me avoid the cross. Yet not my will be done, but your will be done, Father. Beloved, the cross is not mainly about suffering. The cross is mainly about a love so strong that it's willing to suffer along the way if it has to. That's what it's about. So when Christ, now we're getting to the thing that the Lord opened my eyes to about a month ago or two months ago. When Christ gives us this command, take up the cross. I've always thought about that in such personal terms, like I have gotta give up this, I've gotta give up that, I've gotta suffer this, I've gotta suffer that. And of course, I have to deny myself and turn toward Christ, of course. But the main thing Christ is doing in issuing this call is actually saying to us, come and enter with me into a love that's so strong that you will do anything it takes to go and seek and save the lost. You will love people so much that you'll become self-forgetful and you'll be willing to suffer in order to reach them. Enter into that kind of love with me. It's specifically not about you. It's specifically about the will of the Father seeking and saving the lost. So enter into an eternal love. These words, take up your cross, it's an invitation. It's an invitation. Come into a tremendous love. If Kim and Rachel were on a missions trip in India, let's say, and let's say they got captured and arrested and put in prison and they wouldn't let them out, I promise you, I would do anything I had to do to get over to India and suffer anything I had to suffer to get them out of prison, even if it meant that I had to give my life. I would do that. Nothing would stop me from reaching my wife and my daughter. Nothing. That's the kind of love we're talking about. It's not about the suffering. It's about a love so strong that it will go to any lengths, any lengths, to seek and save the lost. So it's an invitation. Turn away from yourself and come into an eternally mind-blowing love that saved your life. And now I'm asking you to enter into it with me. He's inviting us into a disposition, into an attitude, into a willingness, into an eagerness. And with that in place, then come the third words, follow me, follow me. Turn away from the world. Embrace an unbelievable self-sacrificial love that will give you an eternal joy and then follow me. And when I command, you go. What I say, you do. When I speak, you listen. You're humble before me. You're, you're entering into love with me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and then follow me. And then you'll see in the rest of those verses, Jesus is just doing basic logic with us. He understands this is not an easy call. So he just says, listen, let's think this through, you guys if you set aside what I'm saying and then just live for the world, what is that actually going to get you? If you live for the American dream, where will you be on the day when the Son of Man returns to judge the nations? So you spend your life developing your career, climbing up the ladder, getting more prestige, more position, more money, more power. You got the house, you got the family, you got the car or the cars. Maybe you got a cabin up north, you got a boat, you got jet skis, you got four wheelers, you got motocross bikes, you got the fanciest smartphone that's out there, and you always get the latest, newest one and all the coolest apps. You got the computer, you got this, you got that, you got all the stuff, and then you die. And you face God and you say, What? What, what will all of that buy you on that day? He says to you, I'm sorry, but you've been living for the wrong kingdom all your life. And now you're standing before the King of kings and the Lord of lords and it's too late. I've been wooing you. I've been calling you away from the world and you would not listen. And now now it's judgment day. So Jesus is just saying, listen, this is basic logic. You can either live for what is fading away or you can suffer a little bit now and live for what will never, ever, ever fade away. Jim Elliott, a famous missionary, because he went, I believe he went to Ecuador. Correct me later if I'm wrong about that. But in the 1950s, I believe he went to Ecuador to reach a people who were off in the jungles and had never heard the gospel before. And in the midst of doing that, they killed him. They threw a spear into him and killed him. Now, praise God, a lot of people in that tribe got saved. And to this day, uh, that man's son is going around the world with the head of that tribe and preaching the gospel. Kim and I had the privilege of meeting Jim Elliott's son. We sat down and talked with him. It's amazing to see what God had done. Well, before Jim Elliot went into the jungle, he said these words that have stuck in the body of Christ for some years now. He said this. He said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The world will call you a fool, but you're not a fool. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. You want to be a wise person, then follow my way. Is it hard in the short term? You bet. Is it great in the long term? You bet. You bet. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So come, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. The only question left for us today then, beloved, is this. What are we going to do about this? What are you going to do about this? The same Christ who uttered these words to his disciples so many years ago is literally with us right now. He promises us where two or three are gathered, then I'll be there with them. And he's here with us right now. These words are living words. They've been living in my life all these couple last weeks as I've been studying and praying and, 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 and ingesting the word of God in my life. They're living words. This is a living invitation. So what will you do? What will you do? Will you leave here and just keep embracing your way of life or will you hear his invitation and embrace his way of life? I don't know what the particular implications are for all of you. I don't know. And I'm not here to, to, you know, we're not a legalistic church. I'm not here to say, well, you can't do this and you can't do this and you should do this and you should do that. That's between you and Jesus. What I'm asking you is about your disposition. If you call yourself a lover of Christ, are you willing to hear his word to you and obey it in the way that he would lead you to obey this word? That's what I'm asking you. If he speaks specifically into your life today, are you ready to receive it? Next week, I'm gonna continue this and I wanna talk with you about some things that God is doing in the life of our church. I'm amazed, I I summarized some things about four weeks ago in a sermon and I wanna talk about them at length because it's very important that we see what God is doing in our midst right now. It's a very unusual time in the life of our church and it's very important that we see it together and, and embrace arms with each other and pull forward for the glory of Christ. But there's something more important than the details and that is our disposition to him. If next week you come to church and you hear the Lord calling you to be a part of some ministry, which means you have to give this up over here because you don't have time to do both, are you, are you willing to listen? Is your disposition to say yes to Jesus? I'm not talking about you obeying my words. I'm talking to you about you obeying Jesus' words. So the question for today is that. What are you going to do with this? What, what will be the disposition of your heart? I want to give us some time to to think about this, just a few minutes in silent prayer. So Steve, could I ask you to come and just sort of play quietly? And we'll just take a couple of minutes in silent prayer and then I will close us and we will sing our closing song. For now, let's bow our heads and just let the Lord deal with us. Lord Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter three that we would have eyes to see the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of the love that God has for us. And I pray that myself now, Father. I pray that that's the way that this message would land upon us. That we would see a love so great, so strong, so high, so deep, so broad, so wide, that you were willing to empty yourself and take on the form of a servant, not a king, but a servant, and be obedient all the way to death on a cross so that we might have life in you and have life forever. Lord, the message today is a, a message about the love of God in Christ Jesus. And your invitation to us is an invitation to come and enter into that love. I know that it is that. I know you're inviting us into a way of life where we don't exactly forget ourselves, but we forget about the details of ourselves and get lost in the glory of God and the good of other people and, and, and then sacrifice whatever it takes. And I pray for your help now, Jesus. I would be very unwise to stand in this place and to tell people specifics of what they have to do because you don't work like that. There may be somebody in this room right now, given this message, needs to sell their house and move to a different place. There may be another person in this room given this message that needs to buy a bigger house for the sake of ministry and move to a different place. There might be other people who are supposed to stay put just right where they're at. I don't know the details, Lord. I would be very foolish to try to do it that way. But I rejoice because you know all the details and I praise you for that. Lord this week you've spoke specific things into my life about some adjustments that need to be made and I'm willing Lord I I just pray now for your grace and your power to do what you've clearly showed me that I should do and I pray that for everybody in this room Lord I don't I pray that any sense of of guilt and a, a devilish spirit that might come upon people I pray against that Lord and I pray simply for the the peaceful merciful tender wisdom of the Holy Spirit to come upon every person in this room and apply your call to their lives this day to deny themselves and take up the cross and follow. Well, Lord Jesus, as a father leads his children, please come now and lead us. And I pray that you would prepare us to receive the call that will go out next week. It's truly amazing to me, Father, as you're unveiling in my eyes more and more why you planted this church in Elk River. And I so want to see the fullness of what you're doing to come into being. So I pray that you would prepare us this week, Father. Please, again, I ask you as a father to children, come and tenderly work in us in a way that no elder at this church could ever do. And I give you my thanks for what you will do. And now, Father, we rise to sing to you. And I I, I pray that you'd help us sing with all of our hearts. You are a good father. You are a great God. And I pray that you would minister to us even as we sing our praise to you now in Jesus' name.